Welcome to the Coat Hanger on 2SER 107.3 FM. We'd like to acknowledge the traditional owners on the land in which we broadcast and record this show, uh, the Gadigal of the Euro Nation, and we pay our respects to elders past and present. The Coat Hanger is a show and podcast where we tackle women's footy with a Sydney view. I'm your guest host, Peter Holden, once again filling in for the amazing Fee Lamb. And this week I'm joined by... Hey there, everyone. Emma Phillips here from coming to you from Birrigal land tonight. Coach Kiwi coming to you from Wurundjeri land in the Eastern Kulin Nation tonight. And Tracy Kick coming to you from Darawal land. Coming up on this week's show, we're going to be talking about sponsorship in the AFLW and the NRLW. We're going to look at round five action, if you can call it that. Some teams have played six games, some teams have played four games. We'll also discuss the halfway point, who has surprised us and who has disappointed us. But first, Emma Phillips, let's begin before we throw to our two coaches about a coaching announcement, a big coaching announcement. The Sydney Swans have come out on Friday and said that former Kangaroos coach Scott Gowans will lead the Sydney Swans in their inaugural season. Yeah, it's an exciting announcement, I think. And I know that, look, the footy world that I am sort of involved with in on Twitter and what, whatever other socials we look at was pretty miffed that it wasn't the announcement of a female coach. And certainly I feel the same. I do know that Scott Gowans is a hugely respected coach. And of course he has that experience as head coach at North Melbourne and then as an assistant at Collingwood. So I think the Swans can be pretty confident they've signed someone you know, who's really going to take them um, on that journey, that, that sort of initial foray, you know, the, the fledgling swans, um, the signets, I suppose, uh, you know, in that first year really well, he's done that with North. So, uh, look, I'm really happy for the swans signing him up. I'm nervous as a North Melbourne supporter that he's going to raid the ruse. What am I, I, think, I think the swans have absolutely got the ace card in um in getting scott gowans and i don't think across the board you're going to get a more experienced or a coach who has got quite the record that he's got especially at aflw level so he spent many years working with um the local comps the state comps in in um victoria before he was appointed the north aflw coach and i think probably people in city don't know his reputation or don't know where he's come from and that's perhaps where a lot of them are going well let's get a female coach or you know let's get somebody local but i think um you just have to look at what he did at north and he built a high quality list and then he coached to that list and that's why they had a lot of success and i think you know since then perhaps the coach that's taken over North hasn't quite coached the same game plan. So North haven't had the same kind of a success. And I was down at Collingwood when um, when they took Scotty and it was pretty much, you know, oh, my God, this coach is available. Grab him. So they just grabbed him and, um, and put him in charge of the midfield down there because they couldn't believe that, you know, a coach of that quality was available. So um, so already they're, they're a bit sorry and sad, but wishing him well. As he um, packs up and moves Monday, he starts in Sydney. Yeah, it's really interesting, isn't it? I actually agree with you both. I think that uh, having a coach who is experienced at AFLW level is really important, Um, even though, you know, a lot of people, probably including all of us, would love to see a woman in the role. um, I'm just pleased that they just haven't grabbed any old ex-AFL player and said, you beauty, you know. You played at the Swans, that makes you the coach. Um, so um, that's an improvement. Um, it, it'll be really interesting how they build their coaching team um, and, you know, really looking forward to it. It's really exciting. You know, I'm one of the 4,000 uh, foundation members. So I've got my Lions membership as well. So, you know, I'm going to be busy on the membership trail. I can ask you a question on that, Trace. The 4,000 members only just, I confess, only found this out about half an hour ago, that the Swans currently have 4,000 members. Is that correct? Correct. I think they have the most AFLW members of any club. Yeah, that's extraordinary. So how did they reach people for that? What was their campaign? Are you on a list for them? Socials. No, they just put on socials. Hey, foundation members, sign up now. Okay, and that's this year, like during yeah, this, this AFLW season this that's year. happened? It was and in this probably, short space of time, they've got 4,000. Yeah, it probably kicked off about two or three months ago. It was pretty much straight after um, the announcement, fairly close soon after the announcement, they put out a lot on socials, become a foundation member. I 
um, have been a member of the Swans before, so I'm still on the mailing list. So I also got that um, mailed to me. But it is phenomenal um, mm-hmm. in a in a non-football state, and you know we probably might get to this in the, a later part of the conversation. But um, gee, the Giants and you know and the Swans in the same territory is going to be very interesting. I think in season one, I think the Giants actually topped a number of members members as well. Yeah, there Around was something the that came out. Yeah, the numbers back then weren't as big, but for that first season and those eight teams, I'm pretty sure there's some numbers somewhere written and Giants had the most um, members then. And I thought half of them were Swans members anyway. Um, you know, like I've been a Swans member for years and we we signed up, Fee signed up, we all signed up for a Giants membership because that's that was our only – women's footy team in Sydney. So, you know, half the Giants fans. So they will probably now go back to the other side of the bridge, as they call it in Sydney, and probably not renew their Giants membership. So there's also, you know, alarm bells, I would think, over at um, Giants HQ for that. Although there'll be a few ways on their hands. Yeah, there'll be a few people who will maintain, you know, several AFLW memberships (laughs) like some of us, but anyway. And the ongoing ongoing, uh, renewal that you never know about. I know. I was pleased to get my actually charged my wireless charger that I got in my AFLW lines. Was there a keyring and a sticker in there too, Trace? There was a keyring and a sticker. How did you know? <laughs> Just wild guess. <laughs> Just circling back to Scott Gowan's uh, resume, uh, taking over the Sydney Swans, his background, besides a bit of country men's football, uh, there was around 2015-2016, he took over the Dandenong Stingrays uh, inaugural Girls Academy program, and with that, and the uh, TAC Cup Academy Series actually won the inaugural Academy Series Championship, Georgia Walker was his captain in that side, who would then coach the Victorian Country Girls Under-18 side, coach Vic Country to their first ever win at the Under-18s Championship, and then the following year, their first ever national title. He would then be assistant coach at Carlton in their inaugural AFLW season. He would then take over as head coach of Diamond Creek and take them from missing the finals the year before to making the grand final before going down to Darabin in uh, 2017. He would then take over at 2018 as North Melbourne AFLW head coach for the 2019 season. He would also coach Melbourne Uni during that time and his time at North Melbourne included 11 wins from 14 games until he was let go due to COVID cuts and replaced by one of the old boys in Darren Crocker. Yeah, well said, Peter. It's an impressive CV, isn't it? And it points the finger right back at North too, as it should. Yeah, totally. And then all he needs now is then to build some assistants on his panel who know the Sydney comp or know the players coming through the Sydney or that local sort of pathway. And I think you'll have a bit of a balance of what he brings from um, across the States and then what's local. I think, I think that'll happen. I think, you know, there'll be probably the first call is going to be Jess Doyle. Who else do you think he'll call? I don't know about Steph Chiocci, but I know she was in Sydney a month ago checking out the place um, and played under him at Diamond Creek. It's still dirty about that grand final at Diamond Creek. But, um, but yeah, I don't know. It's interesting. Who I'd be asking Charlie uh, Robottom to come down to Sydney as well, link up with her brother. With her brother. Yeah. Mm-hmm. You know, there's, there's some young talent, I'm sure. He's Although she's set, settling into the Gold Coast and, you know, they're doing well. So who knows? She might be loving that Queensland life, Kiwi. <laughs> yes, no, nah, she surely, surely she wants to hang out with her brother more. <laughs> no, she she actually is looking uh, very comfortable on that field and um, they, they are doing very well. Let's turn our attention to the GWS Giants since we've mentioned Sydney and uh, obviously they're a threat on the football side of things and there's bigger threats coming to the GWS Giants and I guess the popularity of Aussie rules, particularly in uh, Western Sydney, with the news that uh, the Parramatta Eagles have managed to sign a number of major brands to uh, sponsorship. I think they got Harvey Norman, Telstra and uh, McDonald's in there. Not only that, they've sold out of their women's jerseys and shorts even before the Parramatta Eels play their first NRLW game. All while this is going on, as as Georgina Hibbert has pointed out, author of the Never Surrender book, the GWS Giants fail to have a back-of-the-jumper sponsor or short sponsor at the moment. Is this alarm bells for the Giants off the field, even despite what's happening on the field, off the field, with... Sydney having 4,000 members and now a coach and all the buzz and then being hit on the other side with Rugby League in Western Sydney. 
Yeah, it's, it's, it's alarm bells for sure. It's a worry, isn't it, since they've been in the competition now for a number of years, the Giants, and really trying to work that um, the Western aspect of Sydney. And I don't know, we need to do some analysis, I suppose, on how successful that's been. But if we're now at 2022 and they are missing two significant sponsors when the rest of the teams in the AFL are not, when they have those things covered off, and you've got the growth, the expansion of the NRLW, where teams are already locking those sponsors down well in advance of them playing games, they really have to be a bit nervous. And the Swans are coming with, you know, 4,000 members and, and a great coach and, and all that sort of buzz about them. I don't have any answers for the Giants. I don't, I don't know what they do to attract that kind of sponsorship, whether there's some issues within about, you know, what they're doing to attract them. I Have either you, Kiwi or Trace, got any intel on that? No, the only thing I know is that QB Eve signed on as major sponsor of the women's swans, AFLW swans, So, and, of course, they're the major sponsor of the men's. So that's the only piece I've heard. Um, anything from you, Kiwi? Um, no, nothing from me, but I think what it shows is here's, here's, an, here's something in the market, and if you market it well, there are people that will come and throw money at you. And and I remember years ago we did it with the Bondi Shamrocks. You know, they hadn't played a game and we had already signed off on $12,000 of sponsorship. Back then was huge for a team in a local competition. So the Swans are in a prime market, and I think they've got an absolutely quality brand. And, you know, they – the, the money is going to come at them. They're going to build new facilities at the Hawthorne Pavilion for their training. They're getting a big upgrade down at Hinson Park where the Giants played last week and it you know, showed that a crowd will come out and support you. It's a great um, local field to sit in and sit on the hill all around there. So they just upgrade that. It's, just, it's going to bring more sponsorship for that side of town for sure. And with the NRLW, pretty sure they're only going to six teams this year. So they're expanding from four to six teams and they still don't have a full season so their season's still very very short so they've locked in three major companies for a competition that's still very short and very brief compared to giants are out there six years they've had a head start and not really um, putting away the wins on the games but they're not really putting away the big sponsorships or um, the promotion perhaps out west to keep the converted fans and converted um, brands on that side of town There's not- I, I think Sorry, Peter, go ahead. There's also, I was going to say, a little nugget in there for the AFLW players with their uh, CBA, which will be coming up at the end of this season. In that story uh, about the NRLW and Parramatta selling all their uh, merchandise and sponsorship, Parramatta have come out and said, even before we've really gotten off the ground, for the next couple of years, all our operating costs, including player wages, is automatically paid for. Wow. Yeah, it's it's very interesting, isn't it? It puts them in a really secure position. And I think it really helps... I'm very glad to hear that story because it helps to shine a spotlight on what could be done in AFLW as well, especially in Sydney. Um, I come back to that. I'm thinking as you're all talking that, you know, it's been a long time that the Swans brand has been in place and going back to its position in Victoria. And of course, when the Swans moved, a lot of Victorians were devastated, but they still did hang on to some of that membership and contingent of supporters. And then it built a really good brand here. And it's been around now since, was it 1981 they moved up? Um, and the Giants, of course, are brand new. So the, the men's aspect is, is still brand new, really. And I know that the AFL provide those kind of extra funds to teams like the Giants and the Swans still get it as well and teams like Gold Coast. Is it time that we start to agitate for there being extra funding for the Giants women's team above what, say, a Collingwood gets, a Carlton gets, you know, um, and perhaps Brisbane and, and the Gold Coast have the same sort of claim to as coming from those non-traditional AFL states. You know, at the moment, the, the player payments, the, um, you know, the football funding is the same as far as I understand across every team. Tracy yeah, Kick, am I right in saying that? The soft cap's the same, I same. understand, yeah. Yep. <clears throat> yep. Just what they earn on top of that through sponsorships and things. Obviously, the, players in Victoria, higher profile, can earn, like Taylor Harris, over 120 or 150 yeah. grand. But should the, the AFL come in and actually compensate for the fact that players are living, players living in Sydney, it's more, it's the most expensive city to live in in Australia for one thing. And then you've also got the fact of trying to establish a brand out in, well, throughout Sydney, but especially in Western Sydney for the men's and the women's teams. You know, and we know the men's team gets extra funding compared with the Victorian teams, the Southern States. Yeah, bring back cola and bring it in for the women. There was originally at the start of the AFLW, I don't know if it's still ongoing or tweaked in any way, I think the figure might have been 5,000, might have even been as high as 10,000. 
um, where they could give players that were relocating interstate. And that was applicable to all clubs and also for the Irish women that were coming across and, and entering the competitions. But that was strictly to do with, uh, with the moving costs and getting set up in a different state or country. Right, not just Sydney-specific or, or Brisbane-specific or non-traditional it, AFL-specific. It, it, it was right across the board, particularly when you had in that first season a lot of WA players that were moving to Sydney, Brisbane, Melbourne and Adelaide. Yeah, I, I just think it's time that the AFL starts to think about increasing the funding for those non-traditional spots and especially where there's a you know a competition between a Sydney Swans and a, a Giants where the Swans have, have a long-standing brand. It's going to be it's going to be really tough. And it's already tough for the Giants on their own here. Do you think um, the Giants make it harder by having so many home fields? Because they've now got Giants Stadium, which the girls, I think, have played one game at. I think they were scheduled for a second last year before COVID cut things or was it the year before. But but I think they've had something like nine home fields, nine different home fields. Field, so I understand that Greater Western they've got to take it out to Canberra. They've taken um, a game down to Wagga. I think they're going to head back to Wagga or someone out there. Whereas the Swans predominantly have stuck in town for the men. They tried the Olympic Park sort of um, project for a few years and then canned that. So the girls, from all accounts, seems like the women's team are going to be just based at Henson Park, not not spread down as far as Wollongong or Central Coast as part of their region. Um, does that make an impact on the fan base and then the sponsor base and then what you can do as a home field and selling spots, selling perhaps corporate boxes or, um, you know, potential, here's our home, come to our home? I think it's a good point, Kiwi, because, um, you know, from, from a fan point of view, I mean, real super fans will travel, but, you know, really um, people love to go to the, you know, the heartland of wherever the the place is and to enjoy their football. And I think you point about corporate boxes and about that moving around, you kind of dissecting your audience each time and you're kind of diluting it in a way, you know, while the intention is to grow it, you might grow it to a degree, but you're also diluting it at the same time yeah. in a way. So I don't know, but I think that's a really good question. And like currently Bulldogs, you know, I mean, I'm obviously a new fan of the game, but I go down there and I hear about the history or Victoria Park. The, you know, Nat used to tell us stories about growing up at Victoria Park or, you know, even Waverley, so when Hawthorne come in. So there's history. So then that brings the fans back who are older who probably never thought they'd ever see women play football. So they're coming back to the game and watching. And, you know, I just feel like there's something different around those fields because it's their home field. So it's set up all around, you know, you're coming to our home to play a game. This is, this is our field kind of thing. And I, I just think the Giants have perhaps lost some of that. And, um, and in trying to build their brand, even West Sydney is, you know, you look at Parramatta, they go to Parramatta Stadium. Penrith will go to Penrith Stadium. West Tigers, well, you know, they're a blend of Balmain, but more crowds will go to Leichhardt Oval because it's a more traditional, you know, the Balmain Tigers side of it, and then you get the Campbelltown side of it. But, it, you know, it's like it's, they have something about the home field and, mm. and if, you, if you move it about too much, I just think you might, you know, as you say, Trace, dilute your fans. And it's hard to build a crowd when you have games at 5, 10 p.m. on a weeknight. Yep. <laughs> Two hours from the office, yes. <laughs> now, we've got a little community service announcement here on the Code Hanger, and that's to let you know about the Newtown Breakaways Football Club. They're holding a pre-season women's AFLX challenge on Sunday the 13th of March down at Henson Park, the future home of the Sydney Swans in the AFLW. Now this is open to all women's footy teams in New South Wales. That includes those that play in the Sydney Women's Comp and those from the regions as well. Now each team is guaranteed a minimum of three games on the day. Registration is $175 and that's per team and it's a maximum of two teams per club. Prices to be won as well. All the details are at newtownbreakaways.com So if your women's footy team is looking for a bit of a hit out before the season proper gets underway register for the Newtown Breakaways Preseason Women's AFL X Challenge Sunday, 13th of March at Henson Park. All the details at newtownbreakaways.com. 
Let's move into the second quarter and take a look at games of what was officially dubbed as round five. Um, before we were on air, um, uh, pardon me, after we were on air last week, uh, we had the Fremantle Dockers defeat uh, the Western Bulldogs 25-19 to and then round five kicked off officially on Friday. I need to ask the question in the room, who were you cheering for out of the stragglers on Friday night? Geelong or the West Coast Eagles in that close finish? Geelong all the way. You know, I've always been on Geelong. <laughs> you were just waiting for them to kick goals. Then. Yeah, big fan. Yeah, <laughs> I was. I was definitely breaking for Geelong. I was watching them over the past few weeks just grow in confidence and just inch their way incrementally every week towards the win that was inevitably going to come. And, of course, before the match, it really had that air of like, righto, this is Geelong. This is going to be Geelong's night, you know, and they set themselves for that as well. And you could you could just see it with the players. So it was actually really great fun to watch them rise to that occasion. They only won by three points. I think it was in the end. So a tight match, but, uh, you know, no, happy for the cats, barracking for the, barracking for the cats all the way. <laughs> yeah, I was, I was barracking for the cats as well, although I was really impressed with the fight that West Coast put up. Uh, you know, it, it was a really hotly contested um, game. So, you know, all power to the cats. I'm glad they've had a win. I um, hope the West Coast can dig one up along the way. Yeah, I was cheering the Cats. I think the way the Cats have just played the last few weeks, I don't know if you can call it close losses, but it's like they've played some quality football and not got the four points. So always care for them to get one and, and hope they can maintain that style of play, playing against West Coast. And I think part of the game, West Coast just came back in and, and sort of forced Geelong to play a little bit like perhaps they played last year or, you know, the sort of scrappy style that they, they had previous to the season. So um, good to see that they were able to hold on and um, and probably, you know, good for West Coast to take a bit out of the game that they were in it. They, you know, still competed for the ball. Um, there's some still quality players at West Coast and, um, you know, there's a few things they need to tweak, I think, in the way that they're playing to, um, to really compete against the big teams and get the points. But, um, but this season's not completely over. The Lions 5-5-35 defeated Collingwood 1-5-11. I've got a feeling we might be talking in about the pies in our most surprising, most disappointed <laughs> section. But I just want to skip ahead quickly to Melbourne and the Gold Coast Suns. 5-8-38 Melbourne, 4-2-26 the Suns. We've all been impressed by the Suns, how they've turned it around since last year. Melbourne's a curious case, though. How do we all feel about Melbourne, considering at Casey Fields, they've struggled against Gold Coast, they've struggled against St Kilda. Yep, they're, they're, they're banking the wins. Does anyone feel they're not quite in the premiership conversation? They do seem a little bit unconvincing, don't they? Mm. Which sounds crazy given where they sit on the ladder and the personnel they have and they're winning matches. But quite right. I mean, again, they started slowly this round, didn't they? They they didn't kick a goal in the first term. Admittedly, Gold Coast didn't either. But we'd probably expect it of a demon side that is on paper definitively better than Gold Coast. So every every week, Melbourne is starting very slowly, um, you know, and they, they arm wrestled with Gold Coast all the way through. And it shouldn't have been that way. They should have dominated Gold Coast, really. So I do think there are um, some, you know, queries over where Melbourne sit. They are in the top four, though, so who knows? Absolutely. Like they, you, you look at the personnel, you look at the way they can move the football at times and you think, oh, wow, this is a really great team. And then you get them in those contests and teams who can just interfere with that, um, that controlled game are really taking it to them. And so, I, you know, I all power to the Gold Coast, you know, to stay close. The other thing about this weekend's matches was it seemed to be windy everywhere. I think the, the wind was 42 kilometres an hour in the Brisbane-Collingwood game. Um, and and that was a windy game at Casey Fields as well. Um, I don't know if you went out there, Kiwi, but um, it was very windy. Um, and so I guess that that, that also affected um, their ability to control the ball. You know, when the, you're going to get a lot more ball on the ground in those windy conditions and then the contest, you know, is becomes more important, the contested ball and the scrapping around the contest. So I think it suited the Gold Coast that they weren't able to, Melbourne weren't able to play really clean, clean footy in those conditions as well. They do rely very heavily on, sorry, Kevin, just quickly, they do rely very heavily on possession footy 
Cities, you know, which they do, as you say, Trace, do very well once the conditions are okay. But um, they make that, you know, that doesn't really suit their home ground when you think about how windy it generally is down at Casey. So, <laughs> yeah, uh, you know, exactly. It, it generally is always windy at Casey. And I think mm. anyone you ask about going to Casey Fields, they'll say, expect the wind. Um, and perhaps, you know, I don't know if, if that's a reason that D's aren't really dominating their home fielders. They don't train there. So in not training out there, are they missing this opportunity to build a game plan around with the wind and then against the wind? And then the weekend, there were goals against the wind was even more interesting. Um, but I love the way that the Suns took it to them. You know, Demons are quality players. And for the last few years, a lot of a lot of people have spoken about them being contenders to take out a title and they've pretty much fallen off and become pretenders. But this season, you know, they've got, again, another solid list and if they get the ball out open, they're away. But I think what Gold Coast did was they made it a real high contested game and really applied a lot of pressure around the ball. And I think the stats out of the game where there was a record broken for the most number of tackles. Mm, 178. Both teams. Yeah, so that's yeah. by both teams. Incredible. And that just shows that they really nullified some of the absolute strength that Demons have. So credit to um, the, the Suns for their tactics going into that game and the Suns only were two goals behind. They were beaten in every other stat other than tackles and rebound 50s pretty much. Um, but they still hung in there, you know, and they still nullified it. So all power to them. It's good to see them having had a couple of wins and good to see them, um, you know, new long, young list and really um, starting to stand up. Hey, can we talk about talk about their Guernsey? They had their Indigenous Guernsey, which is awesome anyway, but one of the players, I can't remember her name, had a long sleeve one, which to me looked like a rashy. I don't know if anyone else felt this. It felt like you're on the field in a rashy and ready to go to the beach. And I just thought, that's kind of Gold Coast, right? You think of the Gold Coast, you're at the beach, you're out surfing. Anyway, I just thought I'd throw that in there. Thank you very much. <laughs> for the surfing round. Yeah. And in honour of Saturday's conditions and proof that visual gags don't work on radio, I'm wearing a Windy Hill T-shirt. <laughs> <laughs> we look, Next year, Pete. Next year they come in. We look ahead to Sunday um, football where the Western Bulldogs, 4-6-30. This was playing like their uh, third game, I think, in seven days, uh, defeating Richmond uh, 1-7-13. Coach Kiwi, you were actually at Witten Oval and saw the game in person. You know, it was beautiful. It was no wind, hot, a little bit hot and sticky, but perfect for watching the game of footy. And um, I guess most people thought that the way Richmond had been playing, they were going to come into this game and probably roll the Bulldogs a little bit. You know, they've been disappointing the last couple of games coming back from COVID. And credit to Bulldogs. They actually came out and they dominated all around the ground from the get-go. And, you know, they forced... Tigers to play long ball options and just cut them off. They just players are just picking out marks below the field. I think Bonnie too good. I think she had something like eleven contested possessions um, or contested marks that she took um, throughout the game. And it, you know, and she's a former defender gone forward. And I thought she had an outstanding game. And there were two serious injuries that came out of the game, but that didn't change it. I don't think either of those players were having a huge impact that changed the game for Richmond at all. I think it just um, Bulldogs just had it all over them and um, and you know just little things where it's just I came, think it came down to decision making you know a small handball or there was one point one of the players went down was a defensive you know just outside the defensive 50 and a small half forward was in in the in the area and she ran back to her forward 50 when the ball was still down that end and it's like you know this is where you start to think as a team got a player down, I need to come back and help with the numbers. Because instead what happened was a ball came out and then Bulldogs just put it straight back in because Richmond had, you know, one less defender. So um, but I thought uh, Jess Hosking was outstanding. I think she topped possessions for Richmond and um, and even Maddie Shevlin is um, a former Canberra girl. I thought she did outstanding with um, the way she defended. Um, but, yeah, Monconti ever worked so hard. And Katie Brennan, you just need a bit more around them, I think. You know, Katie, I think, showed why she's in that team. And one thing, it's been three years since she left, right? There was a little bit of booing when Katie Brennan I hate took the it. booing. I hate the booing. The booing's not required. And she took a mark and it was in the pocket. It was a hard angle. And, and then she ran around and, and did a check shot. And I thought, you know, I bet you she heard the booing and went, 
I'll show you. And, you know, those kind of things when you're lining up for a set shot, so someone, you know, gives you a bit of lip or booze or something, you, you just go a little bit harder, don't you? But, yeah, it's disappointing to hear the booing and, you know, players, you know, it's a career, it's a job. They're getting offered a better job, better opportunities. You, you know, applaud them, let them go. Just let them go. Speaking I think Kiwi, of- uh, just a correction, Mon Conti had 23 possessions and Jess Hosking 17. But, yes, uh, okay. they're, they're totally dominating. And um, and one of our faves, uh, Megan Kylie, really? um, <laughs> <laughs> uh, was rested this week. So, um, you know, um, they may have missed her presence. So, you know, she's she not a, a super high possession getter, but she does a lot of work around the ball. Yeah. Um, um, what I was meaning with that was that if you look at those stats, the midfield for the Bulldogs topped their possessions, but for Richmond, barring Monconti, it was their defenders. So it just sort of showed where the game was really Yeah, kind of sorry. Yeah, gotcha. Yeah, yeah. 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 Kiwi, you were speaking a bit of lip, speaking about a bit of lip, and I can't help but think about Kirsty Lamb, who was truly one of the finest sledges to have ever played the game. She topped possessions with 27, I think, which is a fair effort coming off having been flattened by um, a certain Fremantle player who shall remain nameless, who didn't play this week and won't be playing next week, and we all know. Um, might have helped North win as well when I think about it. But anyway, Kirsty Lamb with 27. But I think we need to note also that it was Nathan Burke's birthday. And the doggies pulled this one out of the bag for him, having been 317 days without a win. It was, and that, looking- and that is, as you say, Peter, three games in a, a what less than two weeks. Only mm-hmm. five days after narrowly losing to Fremantle, they they did that for Berkey. He was very pleased. Apparently, before the game in the team meeting, they all sang the song to him, which he was slightly cranky at because they weren't focused on the game. But later on, said it was lovely. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe they have to sing Happy Birthday every week now. Every weekend, yep. <laughs> Well, it's like it the lucky season, undies now, right? It's season saving, right? Because their season, you know, was not looking good. You know, they played really well against the Giants in terms of possession and inside fifties, just couldn't make any didn't take any advantage of it. And um, and so they're, you know, I was really wondering what the hell are they going to do, really? Um, so it was good they got a win. So we'll see what happens with them. And Emma, I'm not surprised by Kirsty Lamb sledging. After all, she played in the midfield along the goat of sledging in women's football, <laughs> Shay Audley, the serial oh, yes. best. Yeah, you're not wrong, Peter. Carlton. Emma Carney's got to get a mention too. Oh, yes, yeah, I was going to say, wasn't Carney next yeah. to her for a bit too? <laughs> Carlton, 1-6-12. Uh-oh. Uh, Adelaide, 7-9-51. We talked a lot about Carlton and their woes last week, but can we focus on Adelaide for the moment and pose the question, can anybody stop the Crows? Maybe Kiara Bowers needs to run through a few of them like she did last weekend. That might be the only way that Adelaide gets stopped. How many they, games have Adelaide played on the road? It's, they've been at home a lot. How many games have they played away? This might be their first. Yeah, so that will be interesting. Um, can you stop them? I think you can, but there's so much strength across their lines. You know, they're, they're just so reliable and consistent. I think that's part of, you know, and they've got great choice of, of people running and forwards and lots of they can move players around and it really doesn't matter. And I'll make a quick correction there for you, Tracy. It's actually their second game on the road. They played uh, in Victoria a neutral venue, venue of Punt Road over when they played against the West Coast Eagles. Ah, yes, yes. Well, I'm, I'm just, you know, that's the only... Might come up in our next discussion about the season, but uh, I think they they look really good. They um they were without Chelsea Randall again this week, and then uh, Alana Woodward, who's been kicking all their goals, they kind of shifted her a little bit, and their main forward target was Lisa Whiteley. So they're really trying trying a few things and um, looking a bit different and. Um, yeah, as you said, Trace, they've they've got talent from over the field, and I think for Carlton, um, they just I don't know they they they're struggling now, aren't they? They they just are making use of the talent on the field, and um, I've never have to mention Keely Sharar. I actually ran into her yesterday and had no idea. I was just chatting away. She, her arms in a cast, right? She had an absolute blind last week in only her second game of AFLW, and 
I thought, you know, for a young kid, I thought she did really. She's a small player. I thought she played big. She was right behind Maddie Presparkis in the number of disposals for Carlton. She broke her hand very early in the game and still continued, still continued to have, you know, such a solid performance. And so she's actually had an operation now and had pins and screws put into her hand. She reckons she's only out for two weeks. I'm, I'm not so sure. But you, you, you lose a young talent like that. And I'm just saying, I hope you've gone back to your coach and said, well, look, if I can play that well with broken hand, just let me play. Um, but, you know, they've got some young players and they've got speed, but that's kind of not really how they're playing the game. And, um, you know, they, they, they didn't have Moody today in the ruck, which probably could have taken some of the bigger marks for them. But I think, you know, you just got to look at your, your, your list and sort of if you don't have really tall players or if you're not really great in the air, then you play less of the ball that way or you play less of the big long kicks and, and it just looked like that's what they kept opting to do, which, you know, we always call that a low percentage pass and it's because you're kicking to a contest. So, you know, there's less of a guarantee you're going to get it at the other end. So I just think, you know, perhaps they need to have a look at what works great in women's footy and less, less long kicks is women's footy and hit up the shorter options. And they've got the speed and the players who are talented enough to do that. And, um, and, you know, make use of that around the field. Emma Phillips, finally, your marshmallow. Sorry, I mean the kangaroos got a win. <laughs> 3-8-26, defeating Fremantle 2-4-16. In fact, the kangaroos have never been beaten at North Hobart Oval. I can't remember, Peter, whether your lot, the Bombers, are the pink or the white marshmallows. Can you remind me? <laughs> Both, perhaps? <laughs> Yes, 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 I know. Kevin Sheedy got pelted with them after we lost in 98. Uh, <laughs> One of my favourite moments yeah. in football. Um, North Melbourne, yeah, look, it was a good win today and, as you say, undefeated at North Hobart. So fantastic, I think, for North Melbourne as a club, making inroads in Tassie in that way. Um, and it is becoming a bit of a fortress down there. And what a big win against Fremantle. I think most people would have t- tipped the Dockers. And this one was a strange kind of arm wrestle, wasn't it? I mean, sort of wasn't, it wasn't. North Melbourne dominated a lot of the play. I think in the second term, had something like 85% of possession up forward and converted nothing. I think it was four behinds they got. Um, Dominating play and just couldn't put it on the scoreboard. So, you know, from a supporter's perspective, it was a very tough match to watch, whereas just I think the neighbours were knocking on the wall at one point telling me to be quiet. (laughs) Um, But they grounded out. And look, sometimes when you score a lot of behinds in a row, of course, you can really drop your heads. And it's at that point that a team like Frio will just snatch victory where they shouldn't. And North managed to ha- to hold that off. So I think it was a really impressive effort. Um, and it probably brings us now to a point where, and we'll talk about it in a bit, you know, halfway point, when North probably are reasonably seriously in the mix, certainly not at an Adelaide point, but at least need to be considered a bit better than they perhaps were before this match. We all agree with Emma. <laughs> just, <laughs> just leave it at that. <laughs> just quickly, uh, Ebony Antonio um, mm. essentially shut down. I think didn't get a touch in the first half. Yeah, right. The, you're right. And she did. She's still one of those players, isn't she, that out of nowhere can just break a game open even if she hasn't had a touch in the first half. And it looked like that was going to happen for Freo in the second half. So she certainly was the danger player. It was interesting too in the absence of Bowers that they had Houghton starting in the middle. And I worried for them that that was going to be, and look, maybe it proved to be the case that they weren't going to have enough firepower up forward. But actually they couldn't drive the ball forward much anyway. So she, in fact, proved to be quite handy for them in the middle and then drifted forward for, you know, a couple of good strong marks. So, yeah, they're not short of options. Um, and I think the other one just to mention quickly is uh, that Emma Carney had an outstanding game, a real captain's match off the half back line. It isn't collecting the same number of touches that she has in previous years because of her new role, but she managed to drive, I think, five or so um, forward 50 entries off a half back line. So full points to her. Yeah, um, I think that, he's having a huge impact across yeah, here. Just totally. Stats would totally. And I think, you know, we've got to remember that, you know, stats, touches, are just that they don't really tell you what you did with them or how effective they were or you know what happened after you did that disposal so i think sometimes we can get caught up in how many disposals people have and not what else people do so i think you know for someone like emma carney just her composure and experience and uh, her competitiveness across there is amazing just on the on the gemma houghton i think the shake up in the midfield was i just 
repeatedly. Emma King was smashing them for a start, and you know, poor old Roxy Blue probably gave away about I don't know, ten centimeters or something. But um, one of the things I noticed in the in every pretty much center um, or every ball up around the ground is that the ball kept coming up the back, and there was just no accountability. And I think that whatever roles the midfield played. There was just a piece where they just kept missing that. It just came out and they just, North just propelled it forward almost from every stoppage. Mm. Yeah, good observation. I'm Katie Loins and you're listening to The Code Hanger. So before we look at our most surprising and most disappointing so far of the AFLW season, as we technically hit the halfway point, let's have a look at the tips at the halfway point. Tracy is back as tips master where does it all sit? It's all very interesting because there were those couple of games, you know, we talked about the previous few weeks, there were going to be a few games that would sort out potentially the ladder and it might sort out the tipsters as well. So uh, Jess Rook, number one. And we have three tipsters um, on 27. Um, there's some person again who barracks for North Melbourne, Emma Phillips, in amongst that with Jess and Yo Manda. Yo Manda. Um, and so uh, three on out on 27. Then we've got uh, we've got uh, tipsters four to eleven on 26. And you can be in the top 25 and only be three, two off the pace. So um, you know, it's still open to anyone. But uh, top five this week: Jess, Emma, Yo, Marianne, and Troy. Go, you good things. Oh, so Nat's dropped out along with the pies. Oh, the, Nat's right down near us, oh, Kiwi. Yes. Um, <laughs> yeah, Nat's uh, well off the pace. Well off the pace. You'll find her in, in the vicinity of us. Going to have to start betting with her, or so, tipping so, rather, with her head, not her heart. So, so are we saying no Brie Davy, no Collingwood, no Nat? Correct. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> same, same, but different. Write them off. So let's discuss, as we've officially passed round five in the AFLW calendar, as much as some teams have played six games and some teams have played four games, who has been the most surprising and who has been the most disappointing? I pass the hot potato first to Coach Kiwi. Who has surprised you? Who has disappointed you? Um, I'm surprised at Collingwood's last two games. For the talent they've got and the way that they've been building – I've surpri- I'm surprised they're not kicking goals. Um, I thought last week, um, like Chloe Malloy is an out-and-out match winner kind of player. And last week, um, I think she had something like three touches of the football. And someone of that quality, you've got to put them in the game. And whether they were looking after her because she's coming back from COVID perhaps. Um, and this week, like Steve does this a lot, is he loves to throw Chloe just in behind the ball as a bit of a bumper and then to get the ball moving forward. And he did it late in the game. Perhaps was it too late in the game? Um, but aside from that, the, the number of clangers, um, I know it's a stat. I don't know what the numbers are out of that game. But I don't think I've ever seen Collingwood, the quality players, kick so many um, clangers, you know, the players have got. So you probably that's, – that's my big surprise. I know people are thinking it was my surprise someone who's come up the top. No, it's them falling down, I think um, – for for their list and for how well they start the season, going that they have played three probably lower half of the table, lower half of the ladder kind of play of teams. They've got some tough games coming. Um, can they change their system? Can they adjust to playing against quality opposition and still make use of their quality players that they've got? So um, that'll be interesting. I think the biggest surprise for me has been Gold Coast. And I fear I may have taken what Tracy was going to say. I'm guessing it might be the same for you. <laughs> but I think Gold Coast have just been an outstanding side to watch. And, and you know, they're not getting a huge amount of wins on the board just yet, but they kind of are in another way. And you can see them rising. Um, they We know they have that lovely connection right across the team. They want to play for each other. They want to play for their coach. They look like they are really enjoying their football. And that's you know, that's a surprise. I don't think we expected Gold Coast to be thereabouts in that way. Uh, the other surprise for me, and it, it may be not one to say this because she was already very well respected, but Ashradell at North Melbourne, I think currently leads, she's the leading possession getter across the league. At, before this round, it was at 28 touches per game and her disposal, disposal efficiency 
is at 65% as well, which actually leads those around her also. So she is just proving to be an absolute class act through the midfield. And again, with Emma Carney having come out of there and moved to the back line, you know, there's there's just no there's no hold in left. So um, those are my two big surprises. I think the disappointment, we don't want to linger on this too long, but Carlton, again, you know, they had so much success in recent years and it's disappointing to see them slide the way they have. I know um, Daniel Harford has recently talked about it being a confidence issue. He thinks that perhaps they're not sticking with processes very well. And in doing that, they're letting themselves down and the confidence is falling. And while their confidence is low, it's more difficult to pick up and go again with their processes. So I, I do wish them well because they do have an outstanding list and um, maybe with a bit more height trace, you know, they'll get there, but they have been my disappointment. Stole my thunder, Emma Phillips, but that's okay. I'll make up some other surprises. Um, so Sorry about that, Chris. Yeah. Oh, Truly that's okay. I am. That's okay. We're just aligned. That's okay. <laughs> Look, if you'd asked me a week or two ago, I would have said greatest surprise, Richmond. Um, but um, they just haven't been able to follow up with what looked like a really promising start to the season. Um, and so my other surprise would be Gold Coast. Um, just also want to shout out to the Lions because despite uh, losing key players early and playing three games in uh, 11 days um and the surprise and it's not a surprise actually but um just a shout out to emily bates having an amazing season probably an underrated player but absolutely um average disposals 22 average score involvements 3.3 and average clearance is 5.5 shout out to you batesy um but um, most disappointing uh carlton agree and gws at this point in time to be to be proven wrong, um, I think I also predicted. I thought the Bulldogs, with their young list, would really um, give it give it a go this year. And even though they have got their women um, this weekend, I I think they're a little disappointing as well. Trace, do you reckon the Giants should have been a lot better than they are now? Can you genuinely say you expected them to be better, and therefore they are in that disappointing category? I do expect them to have been better. Um, you know, look, we can talk about the last four clubs that came into the competition sort of ad nauseum about, you know, we've been waiting for those improvements for Geelong to kick some goals, as you say, Emma, for, you know, for the Saints and West Coast to get a few more wins on the board. And, and you know, we, we're always waiting for them to do something. Um, but I think the established clubs, you start to have an expectation, okay, well, that wasn't a good year, you sorted this out or you sorted that out, you got that injury or you changed your coaching panel, whatever you did, and you're always waiting. But, you know, I think the, the competition is becoming more predictable really over time. Um, and so, you know, it, it just begs the question, what's happening in some of those clubs that are just not quite, we're not seeing those improvements, but I, I think, you know, the the four teams to come in, you know, in 2019, was it 2020, um, are, are really starting to show promise now, you know, gelling, lists are getting stronger, a bit more experience, whatever it is, they're definitely getting better. I think, yes, you know, next year will be even more interesting. But I think if, you, if you've been in for six years since the inception, and you just really haven't made that movement up and down. You kind of stayed in a in a pretty steady pattern. Um, yeah, that is disappointing. I think for the Giants right now, they're probably a bit lucky that Bulldogs and Carlton are also struggling. So, you know, it's making them look a little bit better because they're sitting on two wins from their four games. But they've got better players, you know, bringing in Catherine Smith last year, um, Katie Loins and Chloe Dalton this year. They've, they've brought in some good players without I don't think I don't think they've lost high quality personnel that they haven't replaced. So you would expect, and now five years under the same coach, you'd expect them to either know his systems or he know the team and 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 play a little bit better. And, and probably, you know, I think it's fortunate for them that Bulldogs have struggled and Carlton have struggled. But having said that, they've had their time at the top. Giants have not yet got to the top. And, you know, and we're seeing these new teams, Richmond and the Suns, they're, they're rising now and, um, you know, 
probably luckily that West Coast and St Kilda are struggling so much as well. But um, Kiwi, the Giants have got you know apart from the makeup match, unfortunately they couldn't play this weekend. But you know they got Melbourne and Adelaide in the next two weeks, and that you know that's really going to sort them out. I think you know if they can't they can't compete against those teams, um, they're going to struggle. I think Carlton the following week after that. But you know we're running out of games, aren't we? Yeah. And probably unfortunate they didn't get to play this week because they were on that roll. Um, so it would have given him a bit of a selection headache with those five talented players and the other player to come back in or not, or, you know, keep the team that won. But, yeah. Yeah. And Let's just quick, see. just quickly question without notice, since uh, Emma raised the name of Ash Riddell and Tracy raised the name of uh, Emily Bates, um, who do you think at the halfway mark of the season is leading the umpires' votes for the W League Best and Fairest? I do and think Hatcher. it's Riddell. Like, I know. I, yeah, Hatchard, all right, all right. God, I'm so one-eyed, aren't I? I don't so, know we're not, we're not very biased, are we? Well, I'll probably just say, Batesy, no, I wouldn't actually. Um, <laughs> oh, I Impartial know, like, commentator. I, I still think Mon Conti's actually um, yeah. probably picked up a few. Um, they haven't won enough games, though, Richmond, perhaps, for her to no. be at the top of the table, I think. Yeah, but I think she has enough of impact, though. Surely, yeah, no, you're right. <laughs> uh, no, I think it's it's not impossible. Because in all those games she's played, even when they've lost, she's still been the dominant player on the field. Mm. Mm. So you surely still think you get three or two points. Yeah, I mean, who else Who else would be in there? So, you know, we've got Mon Conti, potentially Emily Bates, Ash Riddell, I think is the leading possession getter. I mean, do we go, you know, this is my, this is my point about possessions, you know, that while possessions are indicative, they're not the be all and end all, are they? You know, but the umpires do like a player who will run and carry, right? Correct. And midfielders, <laughs> whoever can run and carry the most will probably win the medal. Midfielders are sure bit pretty much. I'd love to see what her GPS is and what she's clocked up for the season, because she does run end to end quite yeah. a bit, and then all around the little side steps. Can I raise three names? One, Hayley Miller, who's taken her game to the next level, being captain of Fremantle. And then we Kiara Bowles will take her points. And then we have to talk about two previous winners because it's a fact in any league when it's an umpire voted award, previous winners always poll well in the following years. Is Erin is 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 (laughs) Phillips thereabouts? And even though she missed a game, is Emma Carney in the question and stealing votes from Ash Riddell? Yeah, look, you could probably raffle it at Adelaide, couldn't you, at the moment? I mean, Phillips has had a couple of great, really, really great games. But somebody mentioned Hatchard before. I mean, she dominated this round for them. But Marinoff also, I think, is the one that we we haven't talked enough about. Um, I think they've got too many superstars at Adelaide and they'll take votes off each other. But your point about Carney is a good one, Peter. Whether she's been – whether she's – run enough and carried enough to take the points off, you know, those midfielders who do that. I'm very cynical about this. Perhaps somebody else should talk about it. <laughs> yeah, I think I think there's just talent in that north midfield that, that, yeah, they'll take some points off each other. I don't know that Riddell's had it all her way. Like, Carney's been solid and she's vocal. And, and we know umpires, they will remember the voice that they hear all game. And no matter where Carney plays, they'll be hearing her. Mm. And probably uh, Garner would have got the chocolates today, I think, anyway, over mm, both yeah. Adele and Carmen. Even, even though she kicked three three points in a quarter or whatever. Um, <laughs> very <laughs> windy, Trace, very windy. True. Um, <laughs> here's, here's the thing, because, you know, we know some of those players, or maybe only Emma Carney, uh, get to commentate. Now, if you've got, if you've got um, kind of the kudos of also being a commentator, does that help your cause? Oh, that's a controversial question, Trace. <laughs> And I thought Peter was bad with the controversial questions. Does that help you cause being a commentator? Are you saying that it's a bit like the Academy Awards where you've got to kind of, you know, do the schmoozing and the campaigning before the Academy Awards come around? And if you do that, you put yourself in good stead for winning a best and fairest at AFRW? No, I'm saying it's like an unconscious bias thing. Mm. Yeah, because your name's in the middle of the time and you're known. Look, there's probably something in that, I think. It's like the old blonde players would get a few more votes too, isn't it? I know a few people who've dyed their hair over the times, either brightly coloured or blonde to stand out in a Yeah, it's the shame why Woden effect, isn't it? Yeah, it is. <laughs> is that what Phoebe Monaghan's doing with the blue hair? <laughs> oh, didn't ask just, her that in there. She, she's playing extremely well. She deserves some votes up there, actually. Yeah, the blue hair suits her. <laughs> Could explain the Nina Morrison mullet. <laughs> ah, yes. Or the Tracy ah. Kick mullet. 
<laughs> All the sleeves. <laughs> the girls are the sleeves. Pick me. Yeah, so we're onto something here. We're here with the hard stories, aren't we? If only I'd known this when I was playing. <laughs> Let's look ahead to uh, what should be round six. Now, we should mention, as we air on to SER 107.3 FM, a game from round four that was held over would have been played uh, just um, before we went to air, which would have been St Kilda and the West Coast Eagles. Now, round six, as it stands at this moment, to be confirmed because the AFL changed everything at the drop of a uh, health and safety protocol. Uh, at this stage, we're supposed to have on Friday night St Kilda versus the Brisbane Lions venue to be confirmed. Uh, Saturday, Richmond versus the Kangaroos at Punt Road, Collingwood versus the West Coast Eagles at Victoria Park, and allegedly from Mantle versus Carlton at from Mantle Oval with the AFL trying to work something out with Carlton will do a fly-in, fly-out routine. That's all subject to the WA government. Uh, on the Sunday, Melbourne versus the GWS Giants at the very windy Casey Fields. Adelaide Crows versus the Western Bulldogs at Norwood Oval. And the Gold Coast Suns versus the Geelong Cats at uh, at Frank Hauser Reserve, otherwise known as Southport's home ground. Um, very interesting, that game, of course, was last year the game which decided the wooden spoon. That is interesting. I've also got another interesting fact, Peter. Um, in the post-match interview of, of the Lions uh, in their game on Saturday, uh, Lauren Arnell said, and you're playing next week at home on Friday night. And they said, really? That's a surprise. So... Uh, even though it seems to be the Saints' home game, is this game going to be in Maroochydore? Ah, did she let something out of the bag? Possibly. I don't know. It's a delicious rumour. They would have to change the start time, though, to 5.10 because there are no adequate lights at Maroochydore. Remember, they had to play a Brisbane Lions home game at the Gold Coast because it was a night game. Interesting. It might be at Metricon. Why would that change occur, though? Why would they swap it? Why would they swap states on that? It doesn't involve a WA team. No idea. Mm. Okay. And Wait I and think see. there was a little bit of discussion around Collingwood didn't know they were playing a home game this week, that that game could be over the over the other side of the island because um, West Coast fly out after their game on Tuesday. So I wouldn't think they'd fly them out and then fly them back three days later. Yeah, that's a good point. Too, I think Kevin. the moral of the story is to expect the unexpected. <laughs> It's exciting. Wait till tickets go on sale, actually. All, all, all I can say is chatting with uh, someone from AFL House re VFLW about uh, a week and a half ago when I asked for the season fixture, because ironically their season starts this coming weekend, um, they said, oh, we're waiting upon to see what the AFLW do with round six. So hmm. this sounds like it could almost be a total redraw of the fixture. Yeah, okay. Clearly there are some changes in the air. Yeah, I thought there might be a game at um, Trevor Barker Oval this weekend. Uh, but it will now be on Tuesday, which uh, on to SERFM was automatically after we went to air. St Kilda versus the West Coast Eagles, Tuesday, 5.10pm. Um, out of those games, if they remain the same, what takes your fancy? It's, it's one of those rounds again, isn't it, where it looks like it's quite predictable and maybe not necessarily too many standout games, unfortunately. The one that jumps for me, though, is actually Melbourne v. the Giants. And I think it because it's at a point now, isn't it, where both of those teams really have to turn it on in their respective ways. And I think the Giants will come out firing this one. I don't know that they'll get the Ds, but we may see really see something from the Giants. And conversely, Melbourne need to use this game to really establish who they are and who they, you know, how they want to finish, how they want to be seen in the league. So I actually think it could be a pretty classy game. That's for me. The rest are very predictable, um, and you know, we may not get the sort of the close finish we may get in that Casey Fields match, which kind of sounds odd because they're far apart. But I think it'll be fairly close. One that interests me, Emma, is uh, and you know, you probably think you've got it in the bag. It's a North and Richmond game because we just talked about Richmond kind of showing promise early in the season and then kind of being disappointing. Uh, losing the last three games. So it's pretty, you know, it's season ending if they lose another one there. So will they turn it on and be able to uh, stop the run of North? I think North are full of confidence and um, will be hard to beat. But I, that'll be an interesting game. I think. And Richmond at home, which they've played some really good quality football on that field. So I don't know if that'll make a difference. I'm on you too. 
just but it is, it's, it's staring you up, trying to get a rise. Yeah. <laughs> it worked. North, it'll be not for North just to come in and get the four points, really, and stake their claim in that top six. And, yeah. and I think for Richmond, they just have to fight to um, not end their season now. But, yeah, the other ones are pretty much, yeah, one-sided, one would think. We may be surprised. Come on, Giants. You nearly did it a few years ago at Casey Fields. You never know oh, what they I might bring there. the Giants. <laughs> yeah. Um, was that the second season, I think, AFRW? Second, and second season. They pushed were, them I, right I to the last two minutes. Last two minutes. Keegan Cunningham killed us. Yes. God damn it. And this has been round five of the Code Hanger for AFLW Season 6. Our thanks to Lisa, Coach Kiwi Roper, Tracy Kick and Emma Phillips. I'm Peter Holden filling in for the amazing Fee Lamb. We'll be coming to you every week on 2SER 107.3 FM. And don't forget to catch us on our socials. We are at Code Hanger Footy on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook. And the full version of the show, which goes a lot longer than 28 minutes with extra content, you can find it wherever you get your good podcasts and on the 2SER website. And as always, for the best harbour views in women's footy, tune into the Gate Hanger. <laughs>